0: Turn with me to the first book of the Bible, and that is Genesis. Uh, We're going to look at a few different verses there in Genesis, chapter 2, and then also in chapter 3. I wonder if you've ever been offered a gift and never really opened it or utilized it. It could be that you have a a friend that has a, a cottage on some water, And there's this standing offer. Anytime you want, you and your family could come and and use this. Or maybe you have a a neighbor that says, we would love to have you over for a barbecue. Perhaps you have someone that you know that has a camper or camping gear and say, you know, you could use this anytime that you would like. Maybe it's a boat Maybe it's uh, some bikes. And these gifts are being made available to you, but for one or reason, you've chosen not to take full advantage of them. This morning, we're going to be talking about a gift that each of us have been given, and that is the gift of a clear conscience. That is a conscience that all of us that are made in the image of God... Have been presented this gift of a conscience. Listen, your goldfish, your cat, your dog, and your guinea pig do not possess this gift. It is something that is given to those made in the image of God. And as we look at the Christian life, if we're really going to pursue revival and a renewed relationship with Him, If God has made known to us a sin between him and I, or me and another person, how can we experience revival unless we have cleared this up? Do you know that for Paul, this wonderful church planter, this wonderful theologian, clear conscience was something that was central to his ministry. Let me just read you a few verses here from First Timothy. As he is writing to a young pastor, First Timothy 1, verse 5, he says, The aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is what we are all about, young preacher, love, but that love comes from a pure heart and a good conscience And a sincere faith. In the same chapter, in verse 19, I'll read 18 and 19, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Young preacher If you want to last in ministry, then you need to sustain a good conscience. And then he says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. This morning, we want to speak about what a clear conscience is and the value of possessing one. Hopefully, when you came in today, you received a handout that not only includes an outline of the message, But you'll see that there's actually a brochure there produced by Life Action Ministries that gives us a more well-rounded view of how to attain this clear conscience. And I just want to equip you as much as I can. And I would remind you that during this summer series, that the Sunday morning message really serves as an appetizer. And that the main course follows throughout the daily work that you will be doing and then I think on day five, this meal culminates in the dessert where you systematically apply the teachings from Sunday morning and, and throughout the week. You know, just in May, I was thinking of this mission trip that Elijah and, and Gary and I went on to Senegal, there on Neomoon Island, where it's our goal to, Lord willing, see a church planted next September, September of 2023. And while we were there, I think it was the first day we were at the chief's home, Chief Boniface's home, and, and we were there, the three of us, as well as a, a couple of missionaries, a pastor from an area island and a translator. And as we were seated there, uh, Chief Boniface's wife and daughter brought some food out. I can remember a platter of, of oysters. I can remember a platter of fish. It wasn't long, and we were presented with some spoons. Because we were Americans, they didn't think we wanted to eat with our hands. And so I grabbed my spoon, and my son Elijah said, uh, Dad, I'm not planning on using this spoon. I've been waiting my whole life to be able to eat, <laughs> eat with my hands. And, and uh, you know, these are my kind of people here. And so we sat down, and we ate, and, and I thought, man, I am satisfied. That was a magnificent meal. And I anticipated that we would all get up, And we would go out and start sharing the gospel, do ministry, and there was a delay. And so I eventually said to the guys, I said, hey, we ready to go? And they said, no, we're we're waiting for our food to come. I said, we just ate. They said, that was the appetizer. And sure enough, in a a few minutes later, a big platter of rice and more fish and more vegetables came. And that followed that was dessert like fruit and then sweet tea. Their, Their style of sweet tea is like in a shot glass half full of sugar. It was a full-course meal. So my aim on Sunday mornings this summer is hopefully provide with you a very full appetizer. But what we're asking you to do is to take this book called Seeking Him that I'll lead out in teaching on clear conscience today. But over the next five days, you will just unpack what that teaching is like in your personal life and then systematically apply it near the end of the week, and then discuss it in your small groups and in your Bible study. Well, let's first consider, as we think about conscience, let's talk about conscience defined. If we did a little word study on what the word conscience means, we would see that the word con means with, the word science means knowledge. So it means with knowledge. That is God Being part of made in the image of God, all of us have this knowledge of what right and wrong is. And the scripture tells us that God has written this truth on our hearts. According to Romans chapter 2 verse 15, it says, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. And while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So, Each of us have the truth of God's Word written on our hearts. And it will either accuse or excuse us. There's a wonderful little resource called Easton's Bible Dictionary. And it takes a definition of conscience when it just says this. An inborn sense of right and wrong. An inborn sense of right and wrong. And we can see an assortment of illustrations of this. We have things in our vehicles that help us to know if we're approaching danger, lights go on. A couple of weeks ago, we were driving from Yosemite Valley to the Redwoods, and while we were driving, we were going through a series of mountain ranges, and during the heat of this afternoon as we were going up these ranges, I, I started to look at the temperature gauges on our dash, and I could see as we were going up, it was getting dangerously close to hot, like it could overheat our vehicle. And so there was more than one time where I just pulled over and let it cool down, and then we'd make it up to the range, and then we would go down into the valley. We have things like this in our car. If you are getting low on gas, you'll have a light come on. And it's telling you, if you don't address this soon, you're going to be left stranded on the side of the highway. We have smoke detectors in our apartments or in our homes, don't we? So that when there is danger, smoke is in the area, this alarm goes off and it tells us that we need to either investigate the smoke or get out of that place immediately. Well, let us first now look at the origins of this conscience. I've said to you that this conscience is informed by the Scriptures, by the Word of God, it's written on our hearts, and it tells us what to do or what not to do. Let's look at how this all began in Genesis chapter 2. And I'll just redo you a few verses there, 16 and 17, and then we'll look over at a few verses in chapter 3. It says here in chapter 2, verse 16 of Genesis, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there it is very clearly. God's word is made clear. But if we skip ahead, I'm assuming you know this story. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. It says, So when the women saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took it of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now listen to verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The word of God was made very clear. They disobeyed the word of God, and now their eyes were opened. They had disobeyed. They saw themselves as exposed and as naked. And so what did they do? They try to cover it up. And quite frankly, we've been trying to cover it up ever since. We read here in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord and among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I've heard the sound in you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, the woman you gave to me, with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So here you have the word of the, God, the, word of the Lord clearly being made known. You have a, a violation of that. And then an awareness that I have done wrong. The conscience has been exposed. It's been violated. And now that it's violated, what do they do? Instead of coming immediately to God for forgiveness, they attempt to cover it up. They attempt to hide from God. Is there anything more silly than what we see in this passage of trying to hide their nakedness with some fig leaves? I mean, how how did that go over? And then the blame game begins and it has never stopped, has it? I wonder what happens when you and I violate our conscience. Do we cover it up or do we hide? Well, this is exactly what we see in our own lives as well. I think I'm prone to just fill it in with activity and busyness. I, like Adam and Eve, make excuses and justify my actions as if I could hide from God. I I just seem to try to ignore his promptings, and I try to cover it up myself and pretend that I'm not guilty. But what happens? What happens if we remain with this conscience that is not clear? In that little handout that is presented to you, you can see there's 14 different things that take place if your conscience remains unclear. I won't go in all of those, but I'd invite you to take a look at that list. And some of them have to do with you have no power in your gospel witness. Who are you to share the gospel if you are living under guilt and condemnation from this conscience that is condemning you? You will exchange religious activity for a relationship with God. If your conscience is guilty, you'll be defensive, afraid of getting found out. You'll be unable to concentrate, be consumed with what others have done to you. You might be depressed because you're just stuck there, self-condemned or lack joy. And ever since this event here in Genesis chapter 2 verse 3, our conscience has been faulty. It's not been what God has desired. Let me give you a few examples of this. A conscience, Distorted, a conscience distorted. The first thing that we can have is a weak conscience. Now I'm not going to go through and, and read all of this passage in First Corinthians chapter 8, but let me give you the context. Here is a church in Corinth that has a, a conflict. Are they are they fighting over the deity of Jesus? No. Are, are they fighting over the virgin birth of Jesus? No, not really. How about justification by faith alone? No. They're fighting over steak and meat. Now that's something to fight about, right? (laughs) In this church, they could go down to their own farmer's market, and while down there, uh, there would be a bargain cooler of which you could get meat that at one time had been offered to a pagan god. And because it had already been used, you could buy it for a discount price. Or you could buy meat at full price. Now, there were some within that church that had a background in pagan worship and idolatry. And so when they saw that meat that had one time been offered to idols, it brought a bunch of traditions to them. They said, there is no way that we could have anything to do with that. And no self-respecting Christian would have anything to do with that. But then there were others within the church without that background. They said, have you seen the inflation rates? We need to cut corners anywhere we can. And if we can get it a little bit cheaper here, let's do it. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is saying, there's only one God. What does it matter? It's just meat. But within that church, he would say this. Not all possess this knowledge, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So what is a weak conscience? It's a conscience that is not entirely rooted in Scripture. There were some there in the church there of Corinth that a part of their history was saying, there's no way I could participate and eat those steaks if... It had been one time offered to an idol. Paul is saying they have a weak conscience because their conscience is not entirely rooted in Scripture. It's tradition. Oh, Baptist, aren't you grateful that we're not like those Corinthians? (laughs) Whoo! I'm glad we get to separate ourselves from people like that. And the reality is we're just like them, aren't we? We don't argue over stakes, although we probably would. We'll argue over what you wear to church, the style of music, the instruments that we are used or don't use, the Bible that's preached from, the activities on the church calendar, or elements within the worship service. And we can have a weak conscience. A conscience is that not entirely rooted in the Scriptures. Let me offer another way that our conscience is distorted, that the Bible speaks about. It is a seared, a seared conscience. Let me just read to you First Timothy 4, verses 1 through 2. Paul said, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Listen to this. Through the inser- sincerity of liars whose conscience are seared. What does it mean to have something seared? Speaking of a stake, one might sear or cauterize their, or burn that that steak. But we often think of it in branding an, an animal. And when an animal's hide like that is burned, what happens? The skin around it becomes insensitive. And so you could puncture, you could try to hurt, but it's insensitive. There's enough pain that's been introduced to that spot that it is no longer responsive. And you know what? Our conscience can be the same way. A seared conscience, then, is a conscience that has been violated so many times that it is no longer effective. The the smoke detector can go off, and it is so annoying that what do we do? We take the batteries out. We disable it. Or... I wonder how many of you have a vehicle that that will not allow you to drive down the road unless your seatbelt is on. You'll have this annoying little alarm. Does anyone have that? You know, yesterday I was looking on Amazon, and they have something called a a seatbelt alarm stopper, and you can buy it from from Amazon. I I don't want this alert going off in my life, so I'm going to disable it, and we can do the same with our conscience. It might not work. You know, this week I've been thinking a lot about conscience, and it's got me thinking about some of the lights on our dash that are on. And, and so I had, I had a vehicle this week, and I'm like, you know, one of those is tire pressure. And I am so sick and tired of seeing this light on, and I'm talking about conscience and, and about a light. I'm going to pull over, and I'm going to make sure that every single one of these tires have appropriate tire pressure. And I did. And you know what? It didn't do anything to that light. Because the sensors broke on one of those tires. And our conscience can be the same way. And so how do we get a seared conscience? Listen to this. One sin at a time. We just introduce it a little bit here, and we can get a little bit more numb, and let's just have a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and that that smoke detector alarm is no longer, we don't even hear it. It's muffled in our lives, and we're no longer bothered by it. In the winter, in the deep freeze, and there's not a lot to do outside. It's not unusual for my wife to and I to try to find a series of episodes. And, and we kind of like that Masterpiece Theater on, on PBS. And if we can find a good mystery, a lot of times those are clean, and we don't feel like our conscience is violated by watching them, and, and we can really get into it. But you know what happens? They might not have any sort of sensual themes, but it seems inevitable. Before too long, God's name is being taken in vain. And then Jesus' name is being taken in vain. And we're like, oh, this episode is so good. I, I want to hear and see what happens at the end of this. And, and the more that you hear it and the more it's left unchecked, you know what? It doesn't bother you at all. So my wife and I are left with the, 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 the decision, is it really worth hearing God's name profaned over and over again just to see what happens at the end of this episode? And, and hopefully, by the grace of God, we say, no to that. There's another one one other way that our conscience can be distorted and there's other places in the Bible we could look at uh, other examples of this, but I want to speak to you about the defiled conscience. Paul writing to a young preacher Titus who was ministering in Crete, he said, "To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but their minds and their conscience are defiled." What does this word defiled mean? It means dirty, stained, or polluted. You can think of it this way. Think of a, a dirty window, and the light of day is trying to shine through that window, but because it is so dirty, that light is, has difficulty penetrating it. Well, the light is the Word of God, but because of all the pollution in our lives, it doesn't Go through, And so we, we hear of evidence of this every week, don't we, of a, of a shooting, of a violent crime, of sex abuse or abuse, of which someone is like committing this crime against a person. We're like, where is your conscience? Well, it is defiled. I'm reminded of a story that I heard of a, of a man that came to his pastor. And he said, I got to tell you about my wife. You know, she when she comes to church, she might seem like a really nice woman. But that's not how she is at home. I'm telling you, this woman is evil. In fact, when we sit down for dinner, she puts a little pill of poison right there. And she says, I want you to just take that poison. And the pastor said to himself, this can't be. I know who you're talking about, this woman. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make some time to get with her. So he makes an appointment. And he spends an entire afternoon just asking questions, getting to know her, getting to know her heart. And then after that, he, he takes a great deal of time and thinks through this and process, and then he, he gets with the husband a second time. And he says to the husband, You know, I've I've been able to get with your wife. I feel like I have a good understanding of how she is and who she is, and I got some advice for you. I think you should take the poison. Yeah, I mean, just take it real quick, it'll be all over. Because this woman has a defiled, a defiled conscience. That's not a true story, by the way. (laughs) What is a conscience that is defiled? It is one that is so darkened that the light of God's word does not shine through. And at this moment, it's easy for us to say, well, consider our culture. Consider the world around us. Where right is wrong and wrong is right. And, and we have a hard time defining what a woman is. We have a hard time defining what a marriage is. We have a hard time defining what morality is. And it's tempting for us to say it's never been as worse as it is at this moment. But when you look at the scriptures, you see there's nothing new under the sun. I'm reminded of what Proverbs 30 verse 20 says. This is the way of an adulterous woman. It could easily say, this is the way of an adulterous man. But this is what it says. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Think about that. There is a person that has violated a marriage covenant, violated potentially a marriage covenant in another person's family. And at the end of it says, I've done nothing wrong. That is a defiled Conscience. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15, the prophet said, Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. And so when we look at this, we see we not only need to have a clear conscience, but we need to have a conscience that is reset, where it is informed entirely by the word of God. So let us finally then look at a clear conscience pursued. One has said that it is wise to think of conscience like a financial issue. That is, hopefully you do a monthly budget, and in your monthly budget you say, here are all the debts that I owe. Here's a description of them, and here's the amount. And We make a list, and one by one we pay them. Not all that long ago, we, a member of our family went to the dentist Got this bill, here's an explanation of it, and here's the expense of it, and it hangs over my head even to this day. And I've tried to call. Uh, man, what kind of hours do those people keep anyway? Because every time I try to call, they're not open. But uh, I want to get this debt paid. And a clear conscience ought to drive us to say, I want to get this cleared. I want to get this, this debt, this sin cleared. I want to get it off the books. So when we sin against God and others, we ought to see that as a debt. So here's the lingering question for all of us. Is there anyone alive who I have wronged, offended, or hurt in any way that I've not gone back to in an attempt to make this right? Speaking of the emphasis of a clear conscience that Paul had, in Acts 24, verse 16, he said to Felix, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. How did he describe getting a clear conscience, a good conscience? Pain. <laughs> so there's something to be said about work, of confronting some of the things we've done in the past to make that right. So let's look at a few of these things. First, we need to ask God to search your heart, to make a list of your sins. There's a great verse, a passage there in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This would be a wonderful thing to just pray over. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Father, I want my conscience to be informed by the scriptures. I desire to have a sensitive conscience. Like a clean window, I desire for your word of truth to shine clearly through it to my heart. I was thinking of this kind of prayer of searching my heart. And I remembered this incident that took place several years ago in our church. There was a, a dear family, and of which you do not know, so don't try to figure it out. Don't go be looking up old church directories. But this dear man was, was at hospice in our area. It was very clear that he was just a matter of days before he would die. And there was a sweet wife beside him, and I went up uh, to, to go up there and offer some words of encouragement. You know, there's an old saying that if you cannot improve upon silence, then you shouldn't say anything. Oh, I wish I would have heeded that that day. Because in a moment there where I just wanted to be of help, I just wanted to, to do something, to offer some sort of words of encouragement, as this dear man was about ready to pass away just a few days from dying, um, and he was of sound mind, I remember saying to him, you know what, I'm going to look after your wife. I'm gonna, uh, we're going to make sure that she is taken care of. And I have a hard enough time taking care of my own life. My wife, my boys, responsibilities within the church. What I was doing there in that moment was I was saying, I'm going to be taking care of her the rest of my life. And it occurred to me just a couple of minutes later, Chad, do you realize what you just did? (laughs) you just taken on a heavy load here. It's sometimes what happens when there was a a widow. Maybe she doesn't want to feel comfortable about coming back to church by herself. And and she had a relative. And so she, I don't even know if she came back to church ever after her husband died. And I never even, even saw her, let alone could take care of her or look after her. And my conscience was just pierced by that foolish, rash sentence that I said. Eventually humbled myself and just expressed to her, I said that, and while I would like to help, it doesn't look like you are around, and if there's anything I can do to help, but otherwise, I I said this, and well, would you release me from it if you are not planning on being a part of our church? And she graciously did. But I'll never forget that lesson there of just just blurting something out that I needed to make right at another time. So first thing we do here. As we ask God to search your heart and make a list of the things that he brings to you. And then secondly, one by one, we confess these sins to God and we receive his forgiveness. When we look back at this passage in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis 3, what the people did, Adam and Eve, is when their conscience was violated, what did they do? They covered it up. Then what did they do? They, they hid We ought to do the exact opposite. We ought to bring it to God. And you'll see what takes place there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife's garments of skin and clothed them. Listen, your attempts to cover it up is foolish. But I'm going to provide some clothing of forgiveness of grace that's going to be provided for you. So the next time this happens, you just come to me immediately. Let's look up a few other passages where we see this being lived out in Jesus. 1 John. Turn with me to 1 John. You see this in 1 John 1, and it spills over into 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. This is what we read. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So let's just be honest, loved ones. Every single one of us know what it's like to have our conscience pierced to violate what the law of God or the word of God has written on our hearts and disobey Him. We also know what it's like to try to cover that up and hide. So, Let's just say, no. none of us can say we haven't sinned. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, when we look at Genesis 3, verse 21 of this covering, it's a picture of Jesus coming. Dying on the cross for our sins as the sacrifice once and for all. And that he would cover us with His righteousness. So yes, we'll sin. But we ought to appeal to the righteousness that is provided for us in Christ. Well, what about our conscience? Jed, you said that our conscience needs to be reset. Well, let me invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews for a moment, please. Hebrews, I think your outline says Hebrews 9, but it's actually Hebrews 10. And I just want you to look at a few verses there. Not only is forgiveness being offered to us, but our conscience that can be defiled, that can be seared, that can be weak, is also reset because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at what it says here in Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, listen to verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. As we work through this this morning, I can provide for you some principles of a clear conscience. But really, I think what's going to lead you to that is being captivated by the wonder of Jesus. He has come. And his sacrifice clothes you with his righteousness and forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there. When we receive this forgiveness, our conscience can be reset. So it is no longer distorted. So then finally, not only do we confess our sins to God and receive His forgiveness, but we must go to those who we have wronged and confess the sins of the people that we have offended. Do you remember this story of Zacchaeus, this tax collector? This one that likely had all sorts of regrets that he felt the moment he was saved of his sins. And Do you remember what he did? The first impulse was to say, Jesus, whoever I've wronged, I will go and I will make restitution. There is something about that when we are saved of our sins, that that drives us not only to be made right with God, but also to the people that we have offended. Right there in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gifts. In that same little brochure that you have in your booklet, there's some guides there. There's some parameters. It says biblical parameters for confession. Let me just read these to you. The scope of confession should be as large, but only as large, as the transgression. Private sins should be confessed privately. Personal sins should be confessed personally. Public sins should be confessed publicly. Two, do not apologize or say, I'm sorry. Say, will you please forgive me? And when obeying, it's better to do it in person. Phone is the next best option. And the letter is the last and least effective. Don't reflect negatively on the other person. Number four, and put the hardest person at the top of your list. Number six, set your expectations accordingly. Don't expect an overwhelming positive response. Your responsibility is just to go to the people whom the Holy Spirit has put on your heart. Someone has said this, that a clear conscience is better than a sleeping pill. And I suspect that by the end of this coming week, that many here will actually be sleeping better as they go through these steps of seeking a clear conscience. What is the goal of all of this? Listen to what Psalm 32, verse 2 says. Blessed is the man that is happy, fulfilled, joyful is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And you could look through that and you can see here's a bunch of reasons why to seek a clear conscience and you could review those yourself. I think that's a helpful little brochure. So church family, this week let's just be honest, it can be a challenging week for us. If we really want to experience personal revival, then on the other side of seeking a clear conscience is just that. What I'd like you to do this morning is to say, this is what I desire. Would you be willing to set your hearts by just praying to the Lord this week, beginning this morning, to say, God, I'm willing to seek this clear conscience conscience if there is sin that I'm not aware of you can bring it up and I will confess it if there are people that I have wronged that I need to make right I am willing to do that and maybe I would just tip off a few of our 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 parents and say you know our youth just were at a hmm, our youth were just at summer camp and their hearts are very tender and I've already seen this in my own family That it would not be unusual, parents, for your kids to come to you sometime this week, if they're really serious about seeking a renewal, a clear conscience, that they would come to you and confess a few of these sins. So how are you going to respond to that? Well, I can think of a time where uh, Life Action, several years ago, had come to our church, and I was working with a a dad at one time, and and in our time together, this dad uh, confessed some sin to me, And we were going to work on that together. And then at this Life Action Summit, his son was experiencing conviction over the same sin. And one of the Life Action workers came up to me and says, this son wants to call his dad. His dad's not here tonight, but he wants to confess that sin. Can he use your phone? So they were in my office, and he was using my office phone. And this son, you talk about tender, just trying to do what God wanted him to do, called his dad. Struggling with the same sin that his dad did. And when he confessed it, his dad went all over him. Don't do that. If your child comes to you this week, be gracious. Don't overact. How about you say, I'm grateful that God is working in your life. And you know what? I struggle with sin as well. So, church family, let's do it this way. We're just going to have a time of prayer. And all I want you to do today at this time of prayer is if God has already put something on your heart that you need to get right with another person or with him, why don't we just use the altar right here to do just that? But there's going to be others of you that say, as best I know, there isn't anything going on in my life that needs to be confessed with another person or with him. But you know what? I'm willing. And God, if you want to take this week to reveal some of those things, I'm available because I, I want that. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. I want a close relationship with you. And if that means I need to confess sin that I'm not even aware of right now, bring it on. As I've been praying through this throughout this week, i tell you where I'm convicted of. Of all the people that I've come in contact with, whether recently or in my past, that I have not shared the gospel with. And I, I don't want to be right with that. I don't, want, I don't want to be okay with that. So God, if you give me people that you want me to go to specifically, help me. Yeah. And I want to be obedient to that. Grant me the grace to do just that. I wonder if Miss Karen, you could come and you could begin to play the piano. And anyone here that would say, I, I want to just present myself. God if there is sin if the, I know of sin I want to bring that to you today. Can we just turn this service into a brief little prayer meeting? And let's just as God leads obey what he is asking you to do. If that means come to the altar and praying. For sin that he's made clear to you or if you're just being willing to say God I just want to have a clear conscience. And I'm available you reveal things to me and I will make it right. Let's do business with God right now. Scott leads us, music team leads us here in a moment. Would you join me and we pray? Father, as we think of the scriptures, we see a a stern warning provided by Paul to Timothy to see the people in the church pursue a good conscience, a clear conscience that is informed by the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit guiding and convicting. And that if we avoid that, if we allow our conscience to be distorted, our lives, our faith could be shipwrecked. So Father, I pray that our conscience would drive us to confessing our sins. Missed opportunities, relationships that are severed, that need to be restored. We were silent when we should have spoken. We, we spoke when we should have been silent. Prayerlessness, grumbling, slandering, acting on lust, backbiting. Oh, help us not to hide. Help us not to cover this up. What we're seeing today is a provision has been made for us to bring this out into the light. Garments of righteousness have been provided for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So help us to grab a hold of that and then by your grace work through the list of people that we need to seek reconciliation with and say, I am sorry for what I have done. And may we experience through this, this joy, this blessed state of knowing that we are in a clear, open relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.